welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams and this is episode number 27 of the Red Pill Revolution podcast and thank you so much for joining me. It's going to be a very interesting discussion today. This is going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. A lot of times we'll pull up current events, we'll talk about things that are going on, we'll have a specific topic, but we'll generally have multiple things that we're discussing. But I think this is a pressing enough topic to where we should give it uh, it's full due, it's full attention. And that's what I'm going to do here for you today. And so without further ado, this episode is going to be all about the 2000 Mules documentary that was just released by Dinesh D'Souza. Now, if you don't know who Dinesh D'Souza is, he's a author, podcaster, uh, overall conservative personality. He was actually, which we'll find out a little bit more uh, about later, he was pardoned by Trump due to some type of like campaign uh, finance issues or something. I don't know, maybe something we should look a little bit more into. <laughs> but he released a documentary recently, and uh, it, it's actually a, a decent cost for the documentary. It costs about $30 to purchase it, $20 to rent it for seven. 72 hours, which I thought was a little steep <laughs> for a lot of people. So um, I did want to do a full deep dive. I've pulled some, you know, what I think to be the most important little short clips. I don't want to take away from the fact and I don't want to emphasize in, or I don't want to diminish the fact that you should buy this documentary. You should watch the entire thing beginning to end. All I'm going to give you today is about eight full, well, not full minutes, but eight short clips. Um, well, eight minutes of clips <laughs> that are cut and pieced up into about one to two minute segments of, of really uh, topics generators that I think we should discuss together. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, so if you haven't heard what this is, <laughs> what this documentary is about and you haven't heard a little bit more about uh, the 2020 election, there's a little bit of controversy surrounding it. <laughs> Some people seem to think that the 2020 election had a little bit of shadow surrounding it including our former president, uh, Donald Trump. So this documentary sheds light on some of the facts, some of the reasons that people may question the integrity of our election system. Now, if you're, you know, I know that 
generally you're not every single person that listens to this is going to be on the very right side of things. And I, and I don't think that this, this conversation should be only for people who are pro Trump or hyper conservative or whatever it is that you want to call it, which I don't generally, uh, wouldn't generally label myself, uh, hyper conservative. I have, uh, social aspects of my political beliefs that lean more centrist and more libertarian and in some fiscal side of things. So I, I am not a die hard evangelical conservative or even a diehard uh, right wing individual. I have belief systems that fall somewhere in the middle of both sides. So I, I did just kind of want to talk about that and, and let you know that this is coming from a little bit more of a uh, a little bit more of a centrist uh, libertarian somewhat conservative opinion. Um, but I do have some social issues that I fall more towards the left side of things. So um, so this this is not a complete diehard Trump pro episode. So <laughs> if you're not that individual, stick around because I think it's important to still discuss these things, right? Because why should you care, right? If, if you don't feel like the election was stolen, why should you care? Well, if, if a certain section of our country does believe that, it, it really diminishes the, the entire point of our democracy, right? If, if, a, if a large portion of our country believe that our democracy is built on a house of cards and, and, and lies and deception and deceit and cheating, that really, really is the systemic issue that will uh, affect our country for a very, very long time to come. So I do think it's very important to have this discussion. I do think that it's very important to look at these facts. And I do think that it's an important conversation to have because there are some very, very compelling arguments within this documentary. And even if you're not going to shell out the $30 yourself, I think it's important for you to understand the arguments, right? And, and even if you don't believe it, it's, it's important to still get the idea that this conversation is being had by a good portion of our country right now. Okay. So there's kind of the framework for you. All right. Now to dive a little bit more into what the actual beliefs are and what the facts are and what, what this conversation is surrounding these 2000 mules in this documentary is the idea that, uh, one party, the left specifically was, uh, and they go into more detail about who was a part of it and, and why they did it and how they did it. We even look into, and I'll kind of take you through some of the topics from top to bottom. So some of the things that we're going to go over today is, is who are the people that came up with this data? How did they get that data? And um, how were they tracking and coming up with these, these opinions or, or even more importantly, these facts, right? So that's the first thing we're going to talk about. The second thing we're going to talk about is uh, the math involved, right? So what? Uh, how do we know that these 2,000 mules actually affected the total outcome of the election? And then the next thing we're going to talk about how they did it. We're going to look at a uh, interview with somebody who is actually a part of this cheating scheme, allegedly. <laughs> and then we're also going to see who they did it to, who funded it, what they're going to say about this documentary, and, and we'll look at that side of things of like, you know, maybe, you know, to kind of the conversation around who Dinesh D'Souza is and whether he's a trustworthy source here, although he's not generally the one who's coming up with the data for this, um, but also, and then, and then we'll look at kind of the outro from the episode itself. All right, so there's the episode. That's what we're going to discuss. That's the conversation that we're going to have today. So stick around for that. Now, if you're new to this podcast, I do have a newer platform that is kind of growing and uh, kind of interesting that it's right along this, the lines of this documentary coming out. Um, but on the backs of Twitter getting uh, put 
on or bought by Elon Musk, which we talked about last episode. If you haven't listened to that, it's a great one. Go back and listen to that. But uh, I have built a somewhat decent audience over on Truth Social. Um, Truth Social is Trump's Twitter uh, replica- <laughs> replicator, duplicate. Uh, it's, it's a lot like Twitter, <laughs> which I didn't think I would primarily like the short form text content, but I found a, a, a good groove in what I'm doing and the content I'm putting out and the videos that I'm able to put out on there. So I am excited about having this new audience. If you are on that audience and you are listening to this as a result, thank you so much. I really appreciate you following along. I'm so glad that I'm starting to build an audience outside. If you don't know, uh, if you're only from Truth Social, I had a very large audience, about 50,000 people that came and were watching my videos from Instagram until I got shadow banned into oblivion for posting a Senate hearing about the bio labs. And so that platform is is still in a kind of a holding pattern while I wait for that shadow ban to kind of drop. I'm hoping it does it in the next 10 to 15 days or so. And then I'll be putting out a ton more content there. You may also be listening to TikTok. I put a ton of videos out on TikTok. Anyways, besides the point, if you do have a true social, go ahead and follow me at Red Pill Revolt. Same with TikTok. Same with Instagram. So you get that whole ecosystem of the stuff that I'm putting out. Anyways, thank you. And then the last thing would be go ahead and subscribe. Hit that subscribe button right now. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram, well, probably not Instagram, YouTube, whatever this is, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review. It would mean the world to me. There's very few things that you could do today where you could really affect somebody's life positively. And that is one of them. It's really super easy. It's right there on your phone. All you have to do is tap that button that says subscribe. And if you're really feeling frisky, (laughs) leave a five-star review write something nice, talk about a topic that you enjoyed, whatever it is. Um, Thank you so much for considering doing that. All right. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it. The first topic that we're going to discuss surrounding this documentary today is going to be uh, the who who is the actual organization that they got this data from. Okay. So the first the first video they're going to watch is going to be who the hell are these people? So Dinesh D'Souza was working alongside a nonprofit called uh, called True the Vote. So let's watch their little intro from this documentary right here and get a little bit more of a background, and then we'll discuss it right here after. So here we go. What's your background that uh, prepares you for this kind of work? I've been in and around election intelligence and integrity for about 40 years. We've done investigations literally all over the world. It's a combination of uh, data acquisition, uh, data analysis, uh, occasionally some in-depth data mining. Our ability to uh, draw meaningful conclusions that link the who to the when to the where is significant in the space. Catherine, you started the group called True the Vote in the year 2010. What was your mission or objective? We just didn't have enough volunteers working at the polls in our local elections. So we began by training people to work in the polls. And then as we got further into it, we recognized, wow, some of the problems you see at the polls can be attributed to problems in the voter rolls. Well, what can we do about the voter rolls? And so it turned into something much bigger than we had anticipated. True the Vote has the largest store of election intelligence for the 2020 elections in the world. No one has more data than we do. So I started True the Vote to ensure that every American voter has an opportunity to participate in elections. I think I became familiar with your work when you gave congressional testimony. Now that was in the year 2014. The hypothesis was if you were going to cheat, how might one go about this? That would be provable, trackable. You said there might be some, let's just call them bad actors, who are delivering ballots 
systematically and, and, and illicitly to these mail-in drop boxes, and there might be a way to track them and to bust them. We didn't know. We decided we were going to let the data tell the tale, and we collected together a team of highly skilled contractors and put together a plan to see where the data would take us. What, Greg, is geo-tracking? So the idea is to collect the signals that are emitted from your phone. Your cell phone is delivering information to apps that are collecting that ping, so there are four key coordinates. The lat long, the elevation, and the time. And with that data, we can then build a pattern of life around you. So there we have it. That's exactly who True the Vote is. They're an organization that basically collects data surrounding uh, voter fraud. Okay, and they've been doing this. This isn't their first rodeo. Okay, that's that's a that's an important distinction and an important thing to understand. This is not the first time that they've done this. This they they were not designed as an organization just to go after this election specifically. They've actually had some success in the past, including an indictment in 2020, and to show even further that they're not a partisan organization. Excuse me. Um, they're not a partisan organization. They're not Republicans. They're not Democrats. The, the entire point of this is to take an approach that is non-biased to making sure that there's fair elections. Okay, so in 2020, they actually were a part of the indictment and the overturning of a Republican who was caught cheating in an election, caught har harvesting ballots. Um, and that person's uh, uh, position and role of winning that election was overturned. And he was is now not a sitting politician in the role that he had won that election on from cheating. So they're not a bunch of Republicans who created this organization specifically to go after this election. And I think that's an important distinction, right? You have to know that it's not bias. The data is not starting from a point of bias. And that's a great way to realize it. They, they actually have gone after after successfully overturning election results for Republicans who were caught doing this, or a specific Republican. Okay, so now now that we've kind of set that framework, that is who True the Vote is. That is who Dinesh D'Souza teamed up with to come up with the data for this, and that is who is coming up with this election fraud uh, answer as a result of these 2,000 mules. So if you listened close enough there, what you'll have heard is the way that they went about this data mining, right? The way that they are looking at this election and the way that they are... are believing that this election was fraudulent is based on uh, cell phone data geotracking. Okay. Now, if you don't know what that is, because that's a long word and, and cell phones have only been around for 20 years and geotracking specifically has only been around for I don't know, a short amount of time. Um, uh, the the data mining and geotracking, basically what that is, is, is your phone everywhere you go. If you don't know this, you're ignorant or, or maybe you just climbed out of a hole your phone's always tracking you, right? Through apps, through uh, your location services, whatever that is, but primarily through 300,000 apps that all work together and sell your data to uh, people like the CIA, law enforcement officials. There's there's a basically big gathering of all this data in one specific place, okay? So that's how they did it. They tracked these 2,000 individuals in specific states, swing states specifically, in specific counties, the counties that mattered in those swing states, because the amount of time it would have taken them to do the entire country would have been ridiculous. 
but they wanted to look at where the concentrated attention should have been, right? That the concentrated focus by these parties to try to steal this election would have been in these swing states, in these counties, at this time, at these specific uh, ballot boxes. Now, we have that framework, right? So basically what they were doing is they were tracking these 2,000 individuals and finding and mapping out people who were going between uh, ballot box to ballot box to ballot box to ballot box to f- to see how many people would have been involved in the fraud in these specific counties. And so they found 2,000 people that were dropping off ballots and going from ballot box to ballot box to ballot box, 25, 27, 50 in a row in some cases. And often it was at two and three o'clock in the morning that they were doing this stuff. Okay. And what they would do is they would take, basically they would go and we'll find out a little bit later with how they did it. Um, But what they would do is they would essentially track this geodata, find find these patterns of people who were going from ballot box to ballot box to ballot box, and then they would uh, kind of try to, to follow those people. And what they found was even more interesting. The people now that they found... Now we come to found, the most important question oops, of all. Was the magnitude of vote trafficking in these... Okay, let's wait on that. <laughs> that's going to be the mule math conversation, which is important to see. And that's going to be the next topic that we listen to and follow is, is did this actually affect the outcome, right? Because great, there could have been mules. There's always mules, right? This always happens as we saw in that 2020 election. This might have had an effect, right? But did it affect the outcome of the election specifically? So that's that video. But what I was just discussing is the fact that they followed these patterns and what they found in these patterns specifically is the same cell phone IDs that they were tracking from ballot box to ballot box were actually at Antifa riots prior to this. So I think that brings up an interesting conversation is, is were these people recruited specifically because they were a part of Antifa or are these implanted people into Antifa who are designed to cause a stir are designed to get paid to do things like this election fraud, whatever it is. It's an interesting conversation that they found that out that not only were these people essentially being mules for these ballots and and trying to or attempting to steal this election. But they're also a part of Antifa members who were violently rioting prior to this. Okay, so I think that's an important note is that the people that they were geo tracking, like all of the IDs that they found in these cell phones um, also had some sort of correlation, not all of them, but a, a portion of them had some correlation with these Antifa riots as well. So I think it's an interesting conversation. Are they just a part of Antifa? And did they recruit people through Antifa specifically? Because they know that those people are, are somewhat extremists and maybe more liable to keep their mouth shut. Or maybe they had some dirt on them and said, we're going to arrest you or we're going to give this data over if you do not do these things on our behalf. I don't know. But it's an interesting thing that they found out there that there is that correlation. So let's go ahead and watch this mule math conversation and, and see what you know, what is the actual effect of this, right? What is the math? Because 2,000 people, that doesn't seem like a lot, right? An election is 81 million people voted for for Joe Biden. Uh, 2,000 people does not seem like a lot. But when you look at the math, you see how many ballots they were harvesting and how many boxes that they went to in these specific states, it starts to add up. And so here is the mule math conversation. And let's see if this actually affected the outcome. The most important question of all, was the magnitude of vote trafficking in these key swing states enough to tip the balance in the 2020 presidential election? Let's first narrow in on just our 2,000 mules. 
Their average number of Dropbox visits, 38. Their average number of illegal ballots deposited per visit, 5. That's 380,000 illegal votes. But was this sufficient to put Biden in the White House? To answer that question, we must look at each key state. In Michigan, 500 mules. Averaging 50 Dropbox visits and five illegal ballots per drop, that's 125,000 illegally trafficked votes, not quite the 154,000 vote difference between Trump and Biden. So Michigan, with its 16 electoral votes, stays in the Biden column. In Wisconsin, 100 mules, averaging 28 Dropbox visits and five illegal ballots. Now, real quick, I do like how they did that. I do like how they are pointing out the fact that, okay, this did not affect every state, as at least if we're only taking into consideration these small counties and these small areas that we tracked, right? They're not just saying, here's every single person had an, a tremendous effect on this election. No, it's not every single time. They're pointing out the fact that, like they just showed in Michigan, if we only go by the mules from the data that we're pulling up here, it did not affect Michigan. Right. It did not overturn the electoral votes for that swing state specifically. So they're taking losses. They're taking L's first. And they led with that. Right. This in this specific state, in this specific county, this did not affect the electoral votes. OK. And I think when we're talking about the bias conversation, that's important to note. Right. Because in, in a situation you, you would kind of expect it to and uh, something like this, that's such a large accusation that it would in every state, in every situation, in every county, and in every electoral vote, it overturned, right? But it wasn't the case in the way that they just broke this down. So I like that they did that. Let's continue. Per drop, that's 14,000 illegally trafficked votes, 6,000 votes short to give Trump the win. So using only our mules, Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes stays in the Biden camp. But now we come to Georgia, 250 mules, Averaging 24 Dropbox visits and five illegal ballots per drop, that's 30,000 illegally trafficked votes, far more than the 12,000 vote difference between Trump and Biden. So Georgia, with 16 electoral votes, moves over into the Trump column. In Arizona, the numbers are roughly the same. 200 mules, averaging 20 Dropbox visits and five illegal ballots per drop. That's 20,000 illegal votes. Again, these illegal votes are substantially more than the 10,000 vote margin that gave the state's 11 electoral votes to Biden. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania alone, 1,100 mules. Averaging 50 Dropbox visits and five ballots per visit, that's 275,000 illegal votes, again comfortably exceeding the 80,000 vote margin between Trump and Biden. So Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes goes for Trump. Shockingly, even this narrow way of looking at just our 2,000 mules in these swing states gives Trump the win with 279 electoral votes to Biden's 259. But no one thinks that our 2,000 mules were the only mules trafficking illegal votes. To widen the search, Greg and his team lowered the criterion from 10 or more to five or more drop boxes. 
So what he's explaining here is the fact that they were very conservative, according to him, surrounding how they went about, is this a stolen election, right? So they only looked at specific counties, and in those specific counties, did these geolocation ID tags show these individuals going from more than 10 or more drop boxes in a single trip? Okay, so that was their initial criteria. And under the math that we just looked at, even that, even the small margin that they just gave themselves there of 10 or more boxes at a single drop still gave him the election with 200 and I think it was 279 electoral votes. Okay, so even that small margin gave him the win, even 10 boxes or more. So what they're saying now is let's go back and let's be less conservative. Let's look at who went from, you know, because why in the hell would anybody be going from ballot box to ballot box to ballot box to ballot box and let alone at three in the morning, right? Which is what we're going to see, you know, in a lot of cases here. And, and one thing I didn't mention is, is this is also where that what they're doing is they've also ID'd the same individuals with these geolocation tags, all of these ballot boxes, almost all of them, had video evidence, like video systems right there showing that these people were doing this, right? So they would follow the geo tags, they would follow that individual to the Dropbox, they would see them and then pull up the video footage, which they got directly from the state, from a Freedom of Information Act, they would actually get the video evidence and then they would match that with the geotags that they were. So it's not like they were just looking at these blips on a map. They were taking those blips, those geotags, watching these people go from ballot box to ballot box, and then they were pulling the video feeds and seeing them literally stuffing uh, stuffing ballots into the box to the point where some idiot <laughs> had them dropping on the ground. Um, in other cases, people were taking pictures of these people doing it because it looks so ridiculous. Um, there's, there was a lot of evidence here, but it was all substantiated with video. It was all substantiated with these ID tags from these geolocations on their cell phones. And then as far as this goes with the math that we're looking at now, they kind of take it back. Right. They're like, OK, let's stop being so conservative, because even if we are conservative, we can go with 10 ballots or more. And only these specific counties, which are swing counties and swing states. Let's take it back. Let's take it to five drop boxes. OK, not 10, five. And again, why the hell would you go to Dropbox to Dropbox to Dropbox to Dropbox to Dropbox, right? It's not like they were all stuffed to the brim. <laughs> and it's not like the people that we're following here were a part of the election committee designed to pick these ballots up. No, the videos that they pulled show in every case they were dropping multiple ballots off into uh, into these ballot boxes. And that's how they got that generic number of like five, right? In a lot of cases, he said that, you know, if you take a conservative number that they were only putting five in at a time at each drop box, and there was 2,000 of them in these specific counties, that's where we got this data from. Okay, so let's look at what it is when they're a little bit less conservative, when they look at five drop boxes instead of 10. The huge upsurge in the number of mules from 2,000 to 54,000, 54,000 mules. Next, they used a very conservative estimate of just three ballots per drop box visit. Now, when we multiply this increased number of mules times the five drop box visits per mule times just three illegal votes per drop, we find election fraud on an astonishing scale. In Wisconsin, 83,565 illegal votes were trafficked. In Georgia, 92,670. In Pennsylvania, 209,505. 
in Michigan 226,590, and in Arizona 207,435. Using this calculus, Trump would have won all the key states. And the final electoral vote, 305 to 233. Now that is scary. That's terrifying. Every single one, every single one of these swing states, Trump won, according to their data, right? And that that 2,000 jumping to 54,000 is a crazy number. 54,000 people participated in this. That's great. 54,000 people are out there right now who committed a felony and overturned the election, how many of those are, have to come out and speak if the proper people get in front of them? How many of them are willing to give up the organization that did this? How many paper trails and financial trails are behind these 54,000 people when they brought it back down to five drop boxes? 2,000 is the, name of the, the, is the name of the documentary only because that's all it took and he still won according to this data. But if you draw it back and you become less conservative, take that from five or 10 drop boxes to five drop boxes, the number increases substantially. And in every single case, according to this data, Trump would have won. And that's terrifying. So there's potentially 54,000 people out there right now who participated in this alleged alleged election fraud um, that that have information about what happened here, that know what the outcome was going to be, that, that participated in this felonious act. Felonious is kind of a silly word, I think. There should probably be a better word for that, but felonious sounds like balonious. Felonious act. <laughs> 54,000 people. That's a lot of loose ends. That is a lot of loose ends. And and here's my point with all of this, right? I, I think it's important to note that if we actually went after these people, if we took this evidence and, and, and if the, the machine of what our country's capabilities are, um, when it comes to what we can actually accomplish with the FBI, with the CIA, with the police, with the sheriffs, with all of these organizations that we have set up, if we went at this full force and we forced these people, we shoved this data down their throat, we sent every sheriff's office, every CIA office, every FBI agent a copy of this DVD for free, what would be the outcome of that? Right. And, and so I think there's definitely some ways that this can cause a triggering effect. There's 54,000 loose ends out there right now that participated in this. And let's say 1% of those 54,000 people were able to speak up and were willing to give up the organization to avoid going to jail and having a felony on their record. That's 540 people that you would have that would, would have to testify that would have to say that they participated in this. And that's one fourth of the overall that it took with this 2000 to overturn the outcome of this election. It's, it's terrifying, right? And as I spoke about originally, you know, you have to, you eat whatever side you're on, you have to care about this. You, you, you cannot close your eyes to the fact that this election, the potential of this election being stolen is there, right? That, that, that the, the, the outcome of this may have not been completely legitimate unless everything that they're saying is a lie. And if they need to show this, I think they need to release this data. I think that's, that's something that I put out is that 
Great job, Dinesh. This, the, the, the data's there. You've shown that there is a legitimate case for these mules having done this. Now release the data because there's millions of people in a position who are frustrated with the way that our election system is being run right now who will see this and be so ready to be outspoken. And, and a lot more people who are a lot more intelligent than me could use this data and, and, and put together a, uh, a unbreakable argument. Right, an infallible argument surrounding this this election fraud. Uh, so we need to we need the data. We need we need the license plates. We need the uh, the corners of the city. We need the ballot boxes. We need all of that. We need to know who did this. We need the, every single person that was involved in that that fifty four thousand that you track. Let's put together a spreadsheet of what city, what state, what the time frame was, the timestamp of them dropping it off was, what their license plate was, because I know you can see it, or what type of car they drive. Right, all of that is important. Okay, so now the next thing we're gonna look at is the fact that Trump actually called this a little bit ahead of time. Right, if you if you recall, the uh, there was a big controversy surrounding all of the ballots that were being sent out to everybody as a result of COVID. Right, because COVID was their big sham surrounding this. COVID was the reason that they had the capability to even accomplish this. Right. Because the only way that they were able to get that many ballots to harvest to drop in these drop boxes, allegedly, was because under the guise that covid would shouldn't make it so that everybody should receive a ballot. Right. That that was the reasoning. So here is Trump talking about this months before this even happened. And I believe it's Charlie Kirk that brings this up. Trump, to his credit, tweeted out in July, mail-in ballots are a disaster, yep. we have, and he was attacked so hard by Kemp and Ducey and so many But, but that was, he didn't have this information, obviously. His instinct no. yeah. ended up being right. This is the tip of the iceberg. So that was a lot shorter than I thought. <laughs> I thought they'd actually show where Trump talked about this. Yeah, Trump was very vehemently against uh, the the ballots being sent out. He said it's going to be the biggest. The, I can't do a good Trump impression. The biggest fraud. <laughs> That's terrible. Sorry. Um, but but he came out and said that that this was going to happen. Right. That the only reason they were pushing for all these ballots to be pushed out, like literally everywhere was mailing ballots to almost everybody. And the reason that they pushed so hard to do that was because they knew that this type of organization could accomplish this. Right. So let's watch that next. I think that's important is how they did it. OK, we'll watch that first. We'll listen to that portion um, and then we will discuss it. And then we'll look at the confession of the mule who actually brought it up themselves. All right, here it is. Everything from filling out absentee ballot request forms for voters, but having the ballots sent to them, to actually going to the voters and obtaining the ballots from them, to stealing them out of mailboxes, to actually using high quality photocopy machines to make their own ballots. Look, these cases unfortunately go on all the time. Trump, to his credit, tweeted out in July, Mail-in ballots are a disaster, yep. we have to, and he was attacked so hard by Kemp and Ducey and so many. But that was, he didn't have this information, obviously. His instinct yeah. ended up being right. This is the tip of the iceberg. All right, so I thought I'd show you that twice because, <laughs> uh, you know, it was such a quick clip. So 
what they said is there's there's tons of ways to accomplish this, right? Anything from harvesting these ballots from people from mailboxes of, of individuals who no longer live in that state to pushing people who are in senior homes, who are who are mentally incapable of making these decisions themselves to paying people in low income areas uh, to harvest their ballots and to be able to fill them out on their behalf and then go drop them off. So if there's 54,000 ballots, if there's 200,000, I think he said 200,000 total ballots that were accomplished through this, then there's got to be a trail. There has to be people who know this. Like if there's 200,000 ballots that were a potential, there's 200,000 people out there that, that show this happened. Right. So now it's it's how do we prove that? How do we how do we prove that these individuals allowed this to happen? There's a huge paper. Trail. I mean, that's literally like, what is it? There's 300 million people in the United States. That's like one percent of the total population and was involved in this fraud in some way, shape or form. So not not the fact that they were actually a part of it or did it themselves, but the fact that their ballots were a part of this. So even even if a lot of times might be against them, them even knowing. Um, but I think that's important to know. All right. So here is the mule who actually confesses that this happened, right? Actually talks about the fact that they were a part of the scheme, what they were told to do, who told them to do it and why they did it. So here is that clip right now. So what, what was your what was your job? Like, what, what, what were you doing? Uh, receptionist. So at some point um, you were asked or, or sort of instructed, I guess, to start receiving people's ballots. I was just instructed uh, to go ahead and receive ballots from various uh, people, females mostly, and um, and on Friday they would come and pick up uh, payment. I, I assumed it was payments for what they were doing. So they would, during the week, they would bring them in at various times and then you would pay them like all on a Friday? Uh-huh. Is that kind of how it went? Yes. Interesting. And then I would get a call uh, to find out how many ballots were brought in and if they were already pre-filled out first. And she would come to the office, look at them, and then before she left, she would either take them herself, but other times she would uh, ask me if I could drop them off at the library. So what was the instruction? Uh, Just to drop them off. In the drop box? In the drop box, the early ballots. Can you give me an idea of how many you personally put in the box? Hundreds? Could have been, yes. Um, and was there a reason they wanted you, she wanted you to go to that drop box as opposed to maybe City Hall? Or- There's no cameras. There's no cameras there. And she would want me to take it in the evening when it was dark also. Do you think this is widespread in Yuma County or elsewhere? I would say it is. So do you think that people you know in San Luis, they believe that their vote matters? I don't even think they know the meaning of what voting is. Do you personally think that the elections in San Luis are free and fair? No. They're fixed. They've been fixed. They already know, seriously, who is going to win the next election before it even happens. Now, I think that last statement was an interesting one because I've heard this before. 
Now, the source of who I heard this from was a very high-level special forces individual. And I know that sounds like cheesy and silly, um, but it was. It was somebody who's done like security detail for, for the president. It, it's somebody that I, I knew through a business uh, that I was in if like four or five years ago. And uh, he spoke up about this and, and said something about how they, the elections are already known ahead of time. These corporations that are involved, and then when you specifically talk about why she was sent to those ballot boxes was because there was not cameras, right? And that's when we're going to get into who did this, like who funded this, where did the money come from, right? And and so the money, what we're going to find out came from corporations who were funding these ballot boxes boxes that were giving the avenue, giving the, the the capability for people to be able to do this in the first place, because now you don't have to walk into City Hall and hand it to the nice lady behind the counter. You can go do this in the middle of the night without any cameras present. And in the middle of the night, this election can be stolen. Right. As we saw, like if you recall back, like you think about the election, I remember like going to bed just pretty darn confident that Trump was going to be our president. And then there was like this crazy swing. And I'm, I'm in the Midwestern area and there was an area specifically in Detroit where they boarded up the walls, like boarded up the glass windows of the uh, place where they were counting the ballots because they didn't want people to look inside. And then they pulled video footage of the uh, of this van that pulled up and had boxes of ballots, boxes of ballots. And so there is a lot of shady things going on. And that was at specifically like pretty sure where they were counting them, even not just these shady little ballot boxes. But these shady little ballot boxes have a lot to do with it. And that's where we're going to get into the conversation of who actually funded it. But I think it's important to kind of take a step back and talk a little bit more about True the Vote. Okay, so True the Vote, Catherine is the woman that was speaking about True the Vote. And, and um, I don't recall the man's name, but Catherine was a woman. She was recently on Fox from True the Vote to discuss, I don't know exactly what she was discussing, but Fox News, and I may even have been Tucker Carlson that she went on to to discuss this, um, not discussing this documentary, but discussing uh, other election-related matters. But she was told specifically by Fox News, and this came from Dinesh D'Souza, the the director of this documentary specifically, that she was told not to discuss 2,000 Mules. She was told not to mention this documentary. She was told not to mention the data that they pulled that proved this all. And not to talk about this documentary specifically, which is terrifying, right? How many, there's literally very, very few mainstream medias uh, that you can discuss that are not extremely liberal. Fox News obviously being the biggest one. And so if Fox News is stifling this conversation, why? If If their team's player, Trump, who's a Republican, was the, was the victim of this. Why would they not want people to know about this documentary? That just tells you how powerful it is. And that tells you where Fox News loyalty lies, right? If they're not even allowing this woman to discuss a documentary where only facts are given, right? There's very little color commentary. The only color commentary that really comes from this comes from a, a little panel of, of conservative talking heads like uh, uh, who is in it? Um, Dennis Prager from Prager U, uh, Charlie Kirk uh, from the Charlie Kirk show and Turning Point, uh, and then um, a couple other individuals that I'm not as familiar with. But they had this little panel of people who you'll see in a little bit 
I think, um, where they were discussing some of these things and, and giving their opinions on them. None of the rest of this was really opinion based. It was all fact based. So the fact that Fox News did not even want this woman mentioning the name Mentioning the name of this documentary on live television is terrifying, is censorship, right? So, so it, it just tells you a lot about what, what you should be looking into and, and where you're getting your news from, right? And that's kind of a hard thing too. Like where, where should you be getting your news from? There's a few sources that I, I kind of pay attention to. Um, one of them is a, is a great Instagram account called Real News No Bullshit. Um, so if you don't follow them, you should. They have some great content. It's very, very non-biased. They, they barely ever give any opinions. And when they do, they give they have somebody who is on the conservative side of things, somebody who's on a more liberal left side of things, and they both give opinions. So they say, hey, this person thinks this, this person thinks this, but here's the facts that we can display. Form your own opinion. And so that's important, right? Journalism used to always be that. Journalism was never really this opinion-based uh, manipulation of language to try and pu push their ideas and opinions onto you. News was always like, here's what happened. You form your own decision about it, right? You come up with the ideas. We are not here to give you the idea of truth, right? It just like, you know, it, it kind of interesting too with the um, formation of the, the Ministry of, of Truth over with the... Uh, disinformation governance board with Joe Biden. I'm not sure where that's at right now. I'm going to have to do some diving into that. And I'm going to do an episode a little bit later on this stuff where, where you know, you have the Roe v. Wade stuff that just came out and all the justices who are having these huge, uh, these huge um, protests in front of their houses and, and all of this stuff. So I, I will do a, a, an episode coming up soon, hopefully in the next few days that does talk on those points and some current events. But this is an important enough conversation. I wanted to give it its due. Okay, so if you're enjoying this conversation right now, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Um, go ahead and leave a five star review. If you didn't already do it, I forgive you. <laughs> I, I will forgive you this one time. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the five star reviews. If you can write something nice about what, what you like about this podcast so far, um, what you think about it, what you think about me, whatever it is, think of something to write in there. It helps push our my content in front of more people. And I would appreciate it so, so much. All right. Now, the next thing you can do is go head over to redpillrevolution.substack.com and sign up for our Substack, where we have in the past been doing podcast companions. It takes two seconds to sign up. I'm finding a better workflow for these things. I know I've said that a couple times, but I'm really looking forward to bringing it all together. This is only my 27th episode, 27th week, few months into this podcasting thing, but I've built it fairly quickly and, and fairly had a lot of success. So I'm, I'm still trying to work through all the moving parts of this. So um, bear with me on a couple of these things. Now, the the other thing that you can do is um, go ahead and follow us on YouTube. I'm going to uh, revamp the Rumble page now so I can actually post this full episode on there because I will not be able to post this on YouTube because the one thing that will really get you pulled and banned forever is talking about any sort of election fraud, which absolutely does not exist. <laughs> so um, make sure you follow on all channels, including the Instagram Eventually, we'll get unshadow banned. You got to type in the full name at Red Pill Revolt, the at symbol Red Pill Revolt. Same thing for Truth Social. Same thing for uh, Twitter, just has two T's at the back of it. I haven't posted on there yet, but you can follow there eventually. I may. Uh, yeah, that's what I got for you. So let's go ahead and look at a little bit more about this who they did it to, okay? 
And that is now, the next a former Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin named Gableman has done a preliminary report. He talks about the fact that there are approximately 90,000 people in Wisconsin who are in uh, resident care facilities or nursing homes. So she's uh, basically not capable any longer of even remaining awake for more than a few minutes. And so are you surprised that she voted in February 2021? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I was surprised to hear that she voted in the last president. Now, if you're listening to this and not watching, there's a woman who's in a hospital facility in a bed who is literally incapacitated with air running into her nose, with her mouth and jaw just dropped open, uh, looking like she's on her deathbed. And that's who they're talking about, who is completely incapacitated, could not sign the ballot at all. And this person voted uh, and, and to their own family's surprise. Right. So just to give you that visual election. Much to my surprise, she had voted for the last, off and on for the last 10 years. I guess in my mind, I thought if you put your parent into a facility because they were incapacitated, they would not even be offered um, the vote. They make you vote. They make you vote here? And and uh, so how do they make you vote? Because I didn't want to vote, and they told me I had to. That is a real problem. Clearly, it was a problem in Wisconsin 2020, but unfortunately, that's a perennial problem in other states, too. What happens is you have staff in those nursing homes. And what he's talking about with Wisconsin in 2020, he's specifically talking about that candidate that had the election overturned as a result of this data coming out. So just to give you some context on that. Sometimes they are activists politically. They get these individuals registered to vote, or if they're already registered to vote, they will request absentee ballots in their name, sometimes forging their signatures, and then filling out the ballots for them. Just prior to the 2020 election, the state of Texas indicted a social worker in a home for young people who were basically mentally incompetent. She had sent in over 100 voter registrations for these individuals individuals who were not legally competent to vote. What about homeless shelters? Look, if a homeless individual is uh, mentally capable, they ought to be able to vote. And if the only place they can list is a registered address, the homeless shelter, that's fine. But the problem there is that it's very easy, I think, for them to be intimidated and coerced. In Chicago, the largest election fraud case the U.S. Justice Department ever prosecuted they were paying homeless individuals to cast ballots the way they wanted them to cast ballots. Which is even worse, right? Like they are literally taking advantage. They are taking advantage of the elderly, of the homeless, of the mentally incapable to fraudulently win elections. That is who these people are going after. It's not like they're give, shelling out bunches of money to help families in need. They're going after the mentally incapable individuals who cannot even have a voice for themselves. And that's probably why they do it is because these people are not going to be the ones who are testifying in front of Congress when they're slack jawed open, with their eyes shut on a hospital bed about to die. Talking of people who are about to die, there was even election ballots that were found of people who fucking 
died. <laughs> These people were dead, done, in the dirt, somehow signing their signature and checking off boxes for Joe Biden to win the election. That's how far they're willing to go. That's who these people are. That's who we're dealing with. They're willing to take advantage of the most uh, dis the most disenfranchised people in our society, the most incapable individuals. They're willing to take advantage of them so that their candidate can win the presidency. That's how far these people are willing to go. How disgusting is that? How disgusting is that? It's terrible. The, the people that they're going to go after are the, the, the most incapable individuals who cannot fend for themselves, who cannot speak up at, at a Senate hearing, right? These are the type of people that we're dealing with in these situations. The, the nursing home facility caretakers, right? And, and I wonder how really organized this whole thing was, right? If, if all these people in all these facilities, these people that are workers in these types of facilities are the ones that are accomplishing this, who are who's funding them? Who is giving them the money to take advantage of these people, to push their own ideologies and to fill out these ballots on their behalf? And that's what we'll find, too. And, and what they said is, is that these ballots come in to, regardless, even if you like move, right? Even if you move, your ballot's still going to go to your old address. It's not always going to be updated. So and, and sometimes they'll even set multiples. And now an interesting thing to realize about the ballots is that they're not they don't have the name on them. What, what, where they have the name on the ballot with the name and the address is on the envelope that they send them in. OK, so the envelope that they send these ballots in are sent with a name and an address on them. Now, the ballot that is inside of that envelope is empty. There's no person's name. There's no data. There's nothing on there other than who you want to vote for. And so there's no trackable way of looking at who these ballots represent. Okay, And that's an important distinction because if we knew who these people were and we could look at who these ballots were stolen from or who they were manipulated from, then we would be able to track them, look back and find out and have a conversation with them, send the FBI, send the you know true to vote, whoever, whoever it is that would be going after these people. We would be able to have a discussion with them. But the way specifically that they went about this made it so that there's no traceable way of finding out. Okay, terrifying, terrifying, and all of this stuff was in the original legislation. All of the all of the uh, the stuff that was passed prior to this election happening was was released within the legislation that was happening during COVID, during all these emergency orders for why we need to send out millions of ballots to homeless individuals and and mentally incapable individuals and incapacitated elderly individuals, right? Like horrible. Okay, that's who we're dealing with. That's who they do it to. Okay. Now, the next thing we're going to look at is who funded this, right? Who is paying the money and, and how did they fund it and where did they fund it? And there's going to be some very, very familiar names and ones that people have been pointing to for a few years now as the individuals who are behind the curtain. So let's go ahead and see who was actually funding these ballot boxes, who was actually funding these organizations, and what hopefully we can or who we can eventually point a finger at to, to go after once this house of cards falls down. To pull off a heist like this on a national scale would take deep pockets. 
I wanted to find out where the money might have come from. Who could have funded the heist? People think of three rivers of money, really, that empty into the gulf of elections. The hard dollars to write a check to a candidate. The second, you hear soft money or dark money. And then there's a third river that people tend to neglect, but Capital Research Center has studied intently, and that is the 501c3 nonprofit money. The kind of charity that you get to take a tax deduction for. That river is enormous. In the 2018 cycle, about $21 billion. Now, what do the IRS regulations say about the involvement of these nonprofits? By law, these nonprofit charities are forbidden to directly intervene in elections in any way or to help a particular party or candidate. The IRS is emphatic that you cannot intend or even have the effect of helping one party or candidate over the other. Now, let's talk about some of the key elements of this particular network that we're focusing on. We have we have drop boxes, and those drop boxes are, most people would think, funded entirely by the states. In other words, the drop boxes in Georgia are funded by the state of Georgia, but that's not entirely the case, is it? In the 2020 election, there was an unprecedented hundreds of millions of private dollars going into government election offices. The 470 million or so dollars were sent by Mark Zuckerberg and his wife. We did our part to secure the integrity of the election. There were a few other places that put in much smaller amounts. One entity that put in $25 million was, again, a nonprofit that's part of the Arabella Advisors, which as a total empire in 2020 took in $1.7 billion. Is there any evidence that this operation had a partisan thrust or a partisan character. As we all know, big money rarely comes without strings attached. One of the big ones is lots and lots of drop boxes. Also, lots and lots of vote by mail. To get your nice big checks, you had to do things like have drop boxes, encourage vote by mail, have ads in foreign languages, all kinds of things that little by little are nudging the turnout for one particular political party. In addition to the 470 or so million dollars that went into the Zuckbuck operation, you also had in 2020 a $120 million project, very secretive, called the Voter Registration Project. The $120 million, it came from Soros' foundation, it came from Visa's foundation, it came from Warren Buffett's foundation. Of course, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, George Soros, and even Visa, Visa, the the same people that you have in your wallet right now that you give your money to is putting it towards ruining our democracy. Okay, so these are the individuals that were behind this and the way that they did it was sneaky. The way that they did it was by funding these states and these cities and making it so that they had to put forth these ballot boxes, that they had to put out absentee ballots in their city or state. And they did them under the guise of COVID. We didn't get to the point where they mentioned it, 
But what this talks about a little bit later in that conversation is the fact that they did it under the idea that they were going to be doing it for safety regulations, right? So you're not normally allowed to, to push money towards these people, right? Um, but the way that they did it was, oh, we're going to do it so that you can have plexiglass when people go to vote, that you can have masks at the door, which we know don't work. Okay, that's the way that they did it. They find these sneaky little ways that they can funnel money into these organizations so that they can push the needle 5%, right? 5% is all it takes. 2,000 people of a 300 million person country were responsible for overturning this election. And of that, there was four specific organizations that he mentioned that funded these things very much so. The biggest being Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, who just quoted himself saying, we did our part to ensure the, uh, the, uh, uh, that this election was safe and fair, right? Do you remember how many news people, how many Hollywood folks, all of these gross, disgusting people pushing out, it's a safe and fair election. How many times did you hear that? And even in, on Fox News, right? There's a clip from this that I wanted to pull and maybe I'll pull it to push out there onto some of these social networks was that um, all, all of the news media clips of these little talking points of safe and fair, the safest, most fairest election in the history of the world. Really? How would you even know that to begin with? You work for Fox. You work for CNN. You work for these organizations that are the most involved in, in pushing ideology onto our country and pushing propaganda of our government. So why in the world would we trust any of you, right? Why in the world would we listen to any of you saying that this is safe and fair? And how the hell would you know to begin with? You would don't. You're just speaking out of your ass because the candidate that you wanted to win or or the, 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 the organization that pays your salary told you to say it. And you did it because you got paid to do it or you didn't lose your job as a result. And now we have a fundamentally flawed democracy. Now we have a large portion of our country, of the United States, that does not believe, and, and from what this documentary outlines specifically, rightfully, does not believe that our democracy is safe and fair from election fraud. We know that now. They have the data Right. And I would again, I would really like to see this data because the documentary is very compelling in the way that it speaks of it. But but I think that they need to show it to people. And so I saw something on True to Vote where they said something about Ripcord. Right. So they're, they're eventually planning to put this data out. And I think you can go to True the Vote dot org. True T-R-U-E the Vote dot org. And you will see, uh, you can sign up for their mailing list. You can even fund them, which you should do with the data that they're putting out here. Give and donate to them. Um, you can do so. Now, speaking of donations, go to truthevote.com or .org, I'm sorry, and donate there. Or you can also go, after you give them some money, go to uh, go to givesengo.com slash revolution, and you can donate to the Red Pill Revolution podcast to myself to help continue this podcast. Um, I... I'm not monetized. I make very little, basically no money off of this. Um, I eventually plan on doing some sort of monetization. We do have a Patreon set up where there's bonus content, where there is videos. The full video episode is up there. Um, we usually do have specific topics. We're not going to have that off of this week's episode because this is specifically on the uh, 2000 Mules conversation, but you can sign up for the uh, for the Patreon. You can also go to givesengo.com slash revolution and donate to us there. And the Patreon is patreon.com slash red 
Pill Revolt. It's five dollars to sign up. You get the bonus content. You get the full video episode. Um, you get the the RSS feed. Lots of cool stuff. Um, once we get enough people on there, we're going to be doing a live full episode there as well. So head over there right now. Patreon.com/slash/RedPillRevolt. Go ahead and donate at GiveSendGo.com/slash/RedPillRevolution. And I would appreciate it so much. And then head over to TrueTheVote.com and help support these people with all that they've done to help with this here. Okay. Now, speaking of this, let's talk about what they're going to say to diminish this conversation, because I think that's important. We cannot take a bias, eyes closed approach on this. We have to be able to look at both sides of it. We have to be able to see, um, you know, what the fact checkers are saying about this. And Dinesh or uh, Dinesh Desoza just came out with a fact checking the fact checkers article where he actually discusses and refutes some of the information of the fact checkers. Um, but here is Charlie Kirk discussing what he thinks. They try, will try to invalidate it. One is minimizing and then slander. Yeah, right. So they'll try to slander Dinesh personally. They'll say, oh, Trump pardoned him or whatever. Therefore, he's trying to get back at Trump to try to reinforce the big lie. I could already see the headline of the Washington Post. Trump pardoned ally comes out with questionable movie. I predict right now they will say, what on earth is a conservative doing tracking private citizens? Gee, how dare he? What is Dinesh D'Souza doing to voters at 3 a.m.? In fact, I mean, that'll be part of it. Intimidation will be the word. The word will be intimidation. They'll say no person is safe. Communities of color are being tracked. People like in black neighborhoods are now going to have to fear for their life that their cell phone pings will be paired. And this is this is Jim Crow 2.0, Dinesh. I disagree that this is not going to be compelling enough. This is a smoking gun. This is O.J. Simpson being seen leaving the scene of the crime. I don't care how partisan you are. You can't dismiss all of this. How do you explain somebody going to a whole bunch of different drop boxes with a whole bunch of different ballots on the same night at 3.57 a.m. in the morning? I like how he said that this is <laughs> this is the O.J. Simpson leaving the scene of the crime. It cannot be ignored. Well, <laughs> I don't know if you remember correctly, but uh, O.J. Simpson got off. So you're probably more accurate than than not, because there's I, I highly doubt that there's going to be an overturning of the election, that there's going to be a delegitimizing of the election as a result of this. I'm, I don't even know what that would cause. How would what would be the outcome? Right. What would happen if they're like, yes, we agree. The data shows that Trump won. Would they kick Joe Biden out of the office and then bring in Trump? Like, God, that would be crazy. (laughs) That would be nuts. What in the world would come of this if they actually did overturn the election as a result of this data and this information? Um, I think that's a more important, like probably the most important question is if they do decide that this is acceptable and that they're going to go after these people and agree, then what? There's no precedent that's been set for that, right? There's there's no situation in history where, uh, uh, you know, they've taken somebody out of the office a year and a half into it. Uh, now, I do think that speaks enough to Dinesh D'Souza, the, the fact that he was able to accomplish this so quickly, because I'm sure a, a documentary of this size is very difficult to get out there and, and to put together in a year time frame. Um, so good, good on him. I, I cannot praise him enough for putting this together. It's a very compelling documentary. And again, you should go pay for it. Go watch it. I only have eight minutes of clips on here of the total the total thing. So you should go watch the entire thing. It's an hour and a half. It's $30. Um, you can get it at locals.com. Um, I think there's a few different ways that you can get it. And the other one is like uh, Salem. 
Salem video or something like that. So there's a few different ways that you can go about seeing this entire documentary, but you should absolutely do it. It's very compelling. The, the information that I'm giving you here is a sliver of the overall information and a sliver of the overall entertainment aspect of this. It's a very, very compelling argument. You should absolutely go pay that $30 and go see this documentary. Sit down with your spouse, sit down with a, a pen and paper, and form your own opinion. I do not want to shove this down your throat. I got, I, I am very, uh, I don't know. I, I watching this documentary really made me, and I, I had that belief before this. A lot of people do. A lot of people smelt it. Like <laughs> you can smell the bullshit, right? We all knew that there was something fishy going on when Trump was just crushing everybody, and then all these ballots come in in the middle of the night, and then all of a sudden he's losing, right? We all smelt some some something from this, right? But what would happen? What would happen? If they decided that this was actually a fraudulent election, if they decided to accept that, go after these 20 or 54,000 mules, go after just the 2,000 mules that they have going to 10 drop boxes, and it delegitimizes the outcome of the election. What would happen? How do they do that? And I don't see that being the outcome, unfortunately. What I do see being the outcome is a lot of the American public is going to be convinced that our democracy is flawed. And that, unfortunately, in many many cases in history has led to very terrible things. Because if you can't believe in your election and you don't believe that you have a proper voice and you believe that the oligarchy is funding these campaigns to put people in office who they believe uh, uh, they want to have there so they can make their money, we are no longer a democracy. And are you going to accept that? Are you going to accept that we are no longer a democracy? And that's the question that you have to ask yourselves. And if not, what are you going to do about it? Now, this is not a call to violence. And I think that's the answer. But I do think with all the technology that we have and the ways that we've gone about, the, the way that we've seen them go about this, the way that we've seen them stifling this conversation, the way that we've seen them start this information war. It has all been about censorship. It has all been about stopping and stifling every conversation that disagrees with them. It has all been about that. Now that we're getting platforms, we're getting truth socials, we're getting Elon who's buying Twitter. We're getting these situations where we now have a voice, right? We do not, we no longer have to fear speaking out for, for, for fear of losing our platforms. Now what? Now what do we do? Right. And, and my suggestion is that we get a copy of this. We get a copy of the data and we shove it down the throat of every single person who can arrest these people. We send it to every single lawyer's office that is on, on the side of this that might do something about it. We send it to every politician. We send it to every FBI agent. We send it to every CIA agent. We send it to your local sheriff's office, your local police officer. You get the license plates from Dinesh D'Souza with this ripcord situation, whatever it is, and we get it in front of every damn person that we can. Because I am not willing to accept that our democracy is gone. Are you? Because if not, there's something we can do about it. Right? And again, back to my original point. Don't take this at face value. I'm not trying to shove my opinion down your throat. This was just a very compelling argument. And again, I need the verifiable data. Because if this is all true, I wholeheartedly believe that this election was stolen. Now, he could have made all these numbers up. And, and, you know, and that's why the data is so important. Show us. Show us the ID tags. Show us the mappings. Show us the time frames. Show us the videos. There was, and then there's a great scene where there starts with like four people 
shoving ballots into this. And then it turns into 16 and then it turns into 200 and then it turns into 2000. Okay. So if you have all that data, we need to get it in front of the right people, but watch the documentary and form your own opinion. Okay. And when you do, let's figure something out that we can do about this, whether it's, you know, putting people in positions in the swing states at the ballot boxes next year, whether it's pushing and in, 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 uh, funding organizations who are going to push for voter ID, which is the true answer for this, to get rid of these absentee ballots, because we're going to see this happen again in four years. There's going to be another pandemic right around the election that causes us to, oh, we all need to have these absentee ballots because it's so scary to go walk in person, even though you're fucking fat ass walked into McDonald's yesterday to get a burger. Okay. There's something that we can do. We can shove this down the throats of everybody who can do something about it. We cannot silence ourselves for fear of being deplatformed. We have to speak out. We have to do something about it. But the first thing I needed to do besides subscribing and leaving a five-star review (laughs) is, is to watch the documentary, form your own opinion. Okay. You realize that this is, this is the most, because if not, if, it, it, if we are, we are the last line of defense, we are all we have left. We cannot flee to any other country that is a legitimate democracy. There's nobody left. There's nobody who's coming to save us. We are the only one left. Us and the constitution standing between them and a, a totalitarian regime. We are the only country you have nowhere to go. This is the only place that we have. And you are the only person in your world who will do something about it. And that's what you have to realize. And if it's not you, then who? But first, watch the documentary, form your opinion, and let's get to Nash DeSouza to release the information. Because we have to be able to verify it ourselves. We cannot just take his word for it. Okay? So, whew. sorry, that got spicy. Spice is spicy for a second. <laughs> All right. So now we know what they're going to say. Let's see what Dinesh D'Souza's uh, outro was. And uh, we'll wrap it up after that. All right. Here we go. We are a nation run by a criminal cartel masquerading as a democracy. Never in U.S. history has a presidential election been as thoroughly corrupted by coordinated fraud across multiple states as we now know in 2020. Today, totalitarian regimes camouflage their fake elections with appearance of democracy, but they're not real democracies. We don't want to join them. Welcome to the revolution. 